You ever been to a, a graduation ceremony? You know, where you spend some of the longest hours of your existence waiting for one name after the other name in order that they might finally get to your special dear children. And, and you know how they go. You got these people waxing eloquent talking about your students. I've never had any students. I have children. But... <laughs> But uh, you, you get some of those students, the, the, the good grade guy, the elected guy, and they all stand up and they talk about, you know, that I want to thank my mom who taught me I was better than everyone else, you know. And then there's the next guy, you know, it was that teacher that helped me in third grade finish coloring in my grapes, you know. And, and then there's the one guy that's really honest, and I heard this in a college graduation, is, is I know that my parents have done much and your professors have sacrificed much that we might learn and be prepared for life. But the one I really want to thank today is my, my student loan debt. I don't know how I'll ever pay you back, you know. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a crazy gratitude thing, you know. Sometimes words just don't speak it, if you know what I'm saying, of the gratitude that we really have. So we're going to take a look at... Uh, some various passages in the Scripture. The point of this study is to, to look and see how other people have modeled an attitude of gratitude, how they have demonstrated their thankfulness for someone or something. Just to give you a heads up, fingers together, come on, a little uh, Spider-Man doing the push-ups on a mirror, you know, huh? see that? That's funny, isn't it? Yeah, teach your grandkids that. They love that stuff. <laughs> and uh, so we're going we're gonna to start, and just the word, just dropping in, and various people in the Scriptures that give thanks or, or express gratitude for various things. Now, the first we want to pop in on is the Apostle Paul, and we've already done a study, and we've witnessed how the Apostle Paul, in writing letters, one of the first things he laid out in so many letters to these churches was just his gratitude. And so perhaps the first way that you can express gratitude is like the Apostle Paul, by simply writing a note. By writing a note. Paul always made sure to tell them what, um, tell him that he was thankful for them. And he put it down on paper. Now, it might have been animal skins or perhaps the, the leaves in a river that they put all together and, you know, made these paper out of, you know. But he always told them that he was thankful for them. He wrote it out. And when he did, when he expressed his thankfulness for these people, he always told them why. I mean, there's some good patterns right there. You know, it's easy enough to say thanks, but really, why are you grateful? What is it about something that someone has done or said or given to you that has caused you to be grateful? So Paul not only wrote it down, he explained why. And in this, it gives us an opportunity to learn a principle that I learned so many years ago. And it is this. When you have something good to say to somebody, write it down. You know, one of the things I was told by a pastor early on is when people write those kind notes to you, save them somewhere so you can be reminded that not everybody hates you. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, 
an encouraging note, a card that says thank you and expresses why, and the, it is just something that can linger and remind you in difficult times. So always write it down when it's good, when it's positive, when you want to tell somebody they really knocked it out of the park. Write it down. But when it's something difficult to say, something that will be hard to hear, do it face to face. And the reason for that is they can see your compassion and your love and the way that you say it, but they can't see that if it's written down. How many of you here, just be honest here, have gotten an email and it instantly made you angry only to find out, well, they didn't mean it the way I read it. Come on, raise your hand. Am I right? It happens all the time. So if it's hard to say and you want to make sure it's clear and it comes from a heart of love, say it face to face. So Paul wrote it down. So if you're going to say thank you this Thanksgiving, put it in a note. Write it down. Put those good things in writing so people can understand it clearly. Good, 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 good. Well, that was a quick one, but they're going to get longer as we go. So stick with me on this. Pattern number one, write it down and communicate it. That you're thankful and why you're thankful. The second example we have is found in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis, if you will, let's get there. You're going to want to follow along here. It's a really a fascinating story here recorded for us. And one of the ways that God is working through Abraham, just a couple of chapters ago, he had told him he was going to make him a great nation, that his descendants would be enormous. You know, the next chapter talks about how they're greater than the sands of the seashore. And if you could number the stars in the sky... They wouldn't match his descendants. But that's preceded by chapter 14. And in this, uh, this uh, little story here, in learning to express gratitude, we have the example of the king of Sodom. Now, usually we only talk about Sodom if we're talking about sin. But I want you to take note of what happens here that causes this man to express gratitude. Well, the story begins with a rebellion in verse 1. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elazar, and Kedarlaremo, king of Elam, and Tidal, the king of Goim. And that word Goim means Gentiles, you know, the nations, you know. And these kings made war with Bera, the king of Sodom. Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, king of Adma. Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And there will be a quiz on these names later, so take note, all right? <laughs> and all of these joined forces in the valley of Sidim. This is the Salt Sea. In 12 years they had served Kidar but in the 13th year they rebelled. They had served this king. And you know why they served him? Because he had beat him to a pulp. And this is the way the world worked. You went in, you'd, uh, you'd, uh, you'd had victory over these people, and then they would have to pay you money every month. They would take from you and tax you, and, and this was the way it worked. Unfortunately, that got old after time. And apparently in this circumstance, it was about 13, 12 years. 
Because in the 13th year, they said, enough. We've given you our last nickel, no more. And so here's this rebellion. Well, as rebellions often experience, there was a retaliation. Notice here in verse 5. So in the 14th year, Kedar Leomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated Rephaim and the Ashtaroth, the Karnaim, and Zuzim, and Ham, and Eminem, and Eminem, and Come on, you're not listening anyway. <laughs> and look at verse 6. And the Horites in their hill country, and Seir as far as Elparan, and the border of the wilderness. And then they all turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh. And defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazar and Tamar. And then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zeor. They went out and joined battle in the valley of Sidim. And Kedor Loemor, the king of Elam, the title, the king of Goim. And, and all of these kings got together to fight. And there were five, four kings against five. This enormous battle is about to ensue. And the key to all of this is not that we might keep track of all the little disputes that took place in the land. It is that how this event impacted Abraham. I want you to notice here, if you will. Verse 10, now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. That's tar. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell in them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went on their way, which was the great thing about war is not only did you defeat the people, you got to take their stuff. And this is how some kings became so wealthy. And so this rebellion led to retaliation which led to a great defeat on those who had rebelled. But notice verse 12. How did this impact Abraham? Suddenly, Abraham has a missing relative. Started with a rebellion, led to retaliation, and now we have a missing relative. His nephew Lot is what they like to call collateral damage. Look at verse 12. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom in his possessions and went their way. Now, what was Lot doing in Sodom? You know Psalm chapter 1? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Friends, that was telling the story of Lot's life. He went with Abraham when God had called Abraham to leave his people, his, his nation, and go where God was going to tell him where to go. And Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and looked at all of the activities. He was standing there just watching, you know, gathering information. And we went from walking to standing in their midst. And as we study this, this book of Genesis, we find one day that he is standing in their gates. The gates were the political system, the movers and the shakers. And suddenly, the one who was simply watching and looking and investigating is suddenly a part of the activities of Sodom. 
Now he's a prisoner. Now he has been taken captive. So they had taken Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. And they did all of these possessions and they went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre. I mean, who wouldn't want to that time of year? And the brother Eskel of Aner, and they were allies of Abraham. Well, this missing relative demanded something of Abraham for his family. And it led to, in verses 14 to 16, a dramatic rescue. When Abram heard that his kinsman had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them. Wait a minute, wasn't there like five kings and all of their men and the knights and the bishops and all of the, <laughs> the rooks and all of them, you know? 318, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. And pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And then he brought back all of the possessions and all, also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Abraham has won this great battle rescuing his nephew Lot. And here are these four kings who got their, well, they got beat. They got beat bad. They thought they'd stand up to the bully, and the bully beat him down. And Abraham stepped up and said, I will go, and I will bring back my nephew. And there, here we have this expression of gratitude. You knew it was coming at some point. Someone had to say thank you. But I want you to notice how this is stated. In verse 14, when, when Abraham heard that his kinsman, I'm sorry, we skipped that here. Verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, that's an interesting name, and it is important that we just kind of pause here for a moment and break down this name. This, his name, Melchizedek is a compound word. Melech is the Hebrew word for king. And you can see Melchizedek. But Zedek is righteousness. This is the king of righteousness. And look at the description of his reign. He's the king of Salem. That word Salem is very closely related to the word shalom. And shalom, of course, means peace the king of righteousness, and the king of peace. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was the priest of God Most High. And we just did a study on the names of God. Do you remember what that Hebrew name is? For God Most High, El Shaddai. God Most High, the awesome God, the powerful God. And here we have the priest of the God Most High. And verse 19 says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. How did Abraham with 318 guys beat all of these kings in their armies? God 
gave him the victory and restored his nephew back to freedom. And Abraham is reminded of it right here. And how does he respond? We simply have this phrase. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. How do you express gratitude? Abram hears that his nephew is now caught prisoner in this, this war going on. And he gathers all that he has and goes into battle. And God gives him a victory. And surely Abraham is grateful to God for what he has done. And the way that he expresses it, they gave him a tenth of everything he had. So the example that we have here is you can express gratitude by writing a note, but you know what? You can also express gratitude by giving a gift. And it wasn't even just Abraham that did that. I want you to notice that not only Abraham gave thanks to God. Look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourselves. Remember, when those armies came swooping in, they not only took people with them, they took all of the possessions of these people. And here is the king of Sodom saying, look, we got our clock cleaned by this guy. You stepped up and you helped us. All of those things that belong to us, we want you to keep. It was an expression of gratitude for Abraham stepping up. And clearly, Abraham had a, a personal agenda in all of this. But the impact was certainly well known by these people. And the king of Sodom says, you keep all the treasures for yourself. Thank you for rescuing my people. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh, God most high. Yahweh, El Shaddai, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. And I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and share of the men who went with me. Let Aner and Eskel and Mamre take their share. And so the, the, the way to express their gratitude was the giving of gifts. There was a book written uh, not too many years ago or perhaps as I get older and older, many years ago, it was called The Five Love Languages. You know, if you've read that, it's really an interesting book. It's just an interesting way to look at how you do relationships with people. You know, and then how do you express love? We tend to expect the expression of love for others by how we express our love for others, you know? And there are different ways to express that we love people, sometimes by physical touch, sometimes by acts of service. Here, let me, let me sweep that. Let me do the dishes. Let me, you know, and for some wives, you know, doing the dishes is a really great act of love, you know? I like to fold the laundry, you know? Melanie gathers it all up, puts it in one machine, then the next. I'm happy to fold it. It's one of the ways that we show that we have love for our family, you know? And one of the ways of, of these love languages is gifts. And I have a daughter who has, since I can, the earliest days I can remember, if she had something and she wanted to show her love for someone, she would give a gift. 
It, it hasn't changed much over the years. It's just one of those ways that you say, hey, let me bake you an apple pie. I really appreciate the help you gave me last weekend. You know, and, and, and just things that people do. And already you can say, yeah, yeah, I know that person. Or I am that person, you know. And so one of the ways that we can also express gratitude is gifts. Gifts given in the form of repayment isn't really so much gratitude as as much as, and don't ask me to do anything, I already paid you back, you know? (laughs) I mean, that happens sometimes, you know? You always have these uh, interesting little things, you know, if somebody did something for you, so you want to do something, oh, no, don't do that, I don't want that, you know, here's Abraham. Now, he had already sworn, God, I go into this, I'm not asking anything for anybody. They give me the world, I'm not going to take it. You know, Abraham's concern here was that they'll point, oh, it was us that did this to Abraham, and Abraham was clear and committed that it would be God that would fulfill his blessing, you know, that God would make him a, a great nation. So, so a, a giving gifts sometimes is a great way to express gratitude. And that's a good thing to remember when someone comes bearing a gift, something I had to learn early on in ministry when you always say, no, 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 it's okay, you don't have to, no, I, I, you know, keep that, that's, oh, that's too much, is to simply say thank you and to accept the gift Because it is given from a heart that says, I am so grateful, and this is the way I want to show it to you. And it's not your right to shut that down. Sometimes the receiving of a gift is, and from a child, it could be a half-chewed piece of gum, but they love you, and they say, well, I want you to have this. It's something I've enjoyed, you know. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, we all have our ways. And the giving of gifts is certainly one of those ways to express gratitude. It was certainly Abraham's expression of gratitude to God. Yeah, a little earlier, a little plate was passed around here. You know, oftentimes we look at it as an obligation or it's a reminder, oh, I got to get my check out. But the goal of that should be a, an expression of gratitude and investment in what God has already done in your life. And say, God, I want to invest in that in other people's lives too. I hope it's an expression of gratitude for you as it is for my family. So, expressing gratitude through a gift. Abraham's gift to God and Sodom's gift to Abraham. Even though Abraham said no, it was just one of those natural ways to say, I am thankful for you. Well, we keep moving on here and we find ourselves in the third example, illustration of how to express gratitude. And for this example, we turn to the book of Psalms and we look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, it should be against the law not to at least look at that during the month of November. The psalmist, and uh, we don't know who it is that wrote this. We know the author is the Spirit of God, but we don't know who the Spirit of God used to pen these words. But from the very beginning, it was as if this guy was out and, and, and he was experiencing some great things and God had moved into his life, opened his eyes to the goodness of God in other people's lives and his life. And he rushed in the room and said, where's my pencil? And he had to write this down. It is just kind of a great feel. And he says, he starts it with the word, oh, you know, this is of emotion here. He says, oh, give thanks to God. 
Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And remember, the book of Psalms is the hymnal of the nation of Israel. This was meant to be sung, and, and nations over decades, out of, over centuries, sang the words to this psalm. It was a song of gratitude. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And then we have a bit of a turn here. What about those people who have been in hard places? You know, you say you ought to be thankful. Yeah, but you don't know my circumstances. And the psalmist says, don't I? Let's take a look here. And he gathered, and look at verse 3, he gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. And then he begins a series of paragraphs with the word, some. In verse 4, some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. And verse 6 says, but they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And the psalmist says, and I've got some advice for those people. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And yet some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. This is the disciplining heart of God in these people's lives who had rebelled against God. And so he bowed their hearts, he says. Verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord, the word says here in verse 13. And he brought them out of their darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. And you know what they ought to do, the psalmist says? Verse 15, let them thank the Lord. Let them thank the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the barns, bars of iron. But some were fools. What about those guys? Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. But then they cried out to the Lord. You see the pattern here, friends? Over and over again, whatever your difficult and dark circumstances, cry out to the Lord. Why should we do that? Because of his steadfast love. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, verse 19, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. And they should thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in the songs of joy. 
It's true for those who were destitute. It is true for those in darkness. It is true for those who were derelicts. And it's even true for those who are simply doing their duty. In my dad's Bible, this verse is underlined. It was a lifetime of being out on the water. His his great-grandfather was a a captain, I'm sorry, my great-grandfather, his grandfather captained a ship on the Great Lakes. His father was a chief engineer on a ship. He joined the Navy to be on a ship. And something about this spoke to him. He said, some went down to the sea in ships, doing their business on great waters, and they saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea, and they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the dips, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and he delivered them from their distress. Why? Because they cried out to the Lord, verse 28, in their trouble. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And the waves of the seas were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. And let them thank the Lord. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. And look at verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And when you consider the love that God has for you and the actions to preserve you and to care for you, you should thank the Lord. And what a song. I have on my, uh, next to my desk, there is a, uh, a photo frame, but inside is not a photo, it is words to a song Julie Hayden wrote oh so many years ago, it was about 10 years ago. And I, and I remember thinking even then, what a wonderful gift to be able to express your heart in song. And friends, some of you can do that and you don't know it yet. And some of us, we borrow the songs of others to express our gratitude to God. But friends, don't skip out on this one. It's great to write a note. It's great to write out that we are thankful and why we are thankful. It is great to express our gratitude in the giving of a gift. Writing a note, giving a gift, singing a song even. Hmm. But we want to wrap it up here in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This is for those special cases. When you're a Spartan fan and you got a Michigan sweatshirt for Christmas, it's a 12-year-old kid. How do you respond to such heresy and horrific offense? How do you respond to such things? When you were hoping for the monster truck, but what you got was the little Hot Wheel. How do you respond, my friends? Mark chapter 12. And we have this opportunity to maybe sit next to Jesus and see what he's looking at. What are you looking at, Jesus? What's going on? And here in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12, we find that he is observing how people give their gifts. 
You ever do that? Sitting in a mall? Guys probably more likely than ladies because the ladies are shopping. <laughs> the guys are waiting. You know, what is the greatest gift of a mall? A place to sit. Am I right, guys? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> and there's Jesus watching people. And as he sat down opposite the treasury in verse 41 and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums of money. Oh, yeah, it took them two hands to carry it all, drop it into that box. But I'll bet you they converted some of it to coins so people could hear how many coins hit the bottom of that box. Wealthy people gave much, just as you would expect that they do. But look at verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. And look here, which makes a penny. Well, what did you even bother coming down for if that's all you had? I mean, didn't you see the wealthy people? They got this stuff covered anyway. A couple of copper coins, really? Hmm. And look at verse 43. And he called his disciples to him. He says, guys, did you just see what happened here? I, I think that you're looking with the wrong eyes here. And I think you may have missed something. Jesus calls his disciples and says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those contributing to the offering box. Do you see all afternoon how one family, a man and a woman, they, they dropped all of this money in the box? That little woman right there that barely made it up there, and she reached up high to drop two copper coins that are only a penny. Jesus said she gave more than all of those people put together. And all God's people said, Jesus isn't that good at math for some reason. Because remember, it was only two copper pennies, and it was like a penny, little coins that was only worth a penny. Hmm. But fortunately for us, he explains what he's talking about in verse 44. And he says this, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Apparently, when it comes to honoring God through giving, it's not so much about how much you give, but how much you have left. Apparently, God does math a little differently than we do. We like to count it up as opposed to how much is left. Hmm. So the question is not about so much how much should we give. And oh, have the conversation been many about such things as that. seems that uh, tithing is not in the New Testament. There is no instruction to the church that we ought to tithe. But we certainly have this example. We like to do the numbers game. and Well, the Jews gave 10. Surely we should give more. About 10.47. 10.47 is more than a tithe. Surely God's impressed with me. 
But apparently God looks at it a little differently. It's not how much you put in, but how much you kept back. Which, by the way, friends, has a whole lot more to do, or a whole lot less to do with money than about life. It's not about how much you gave. Well, I came on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah, but what did you do with the rest of the days? What, what, did, what did you do with the rest? Again, not how much we give, but how much we can give. Not so much about how much we give, but how much can we give. That ought to be the question. Bill Gates, I don't know if we have a clue what his relationship is to God, but something I do know about Bill Gates is he has a lifetime plan to give away $100 billion. It's not in a drawing and it's not on Facebook, so just relax. He's giving very strategically to make a difference around the world to some of the poorer areas of the world where they don't even have clean water, they have no education. It's a very, very strategic plan that Bill Gates has. When you think about a hundred billion dollars, it's a B. No, this way is a B right there. <laughs> All right? Not the, not the M, but the B, billion dollars. Some have suggested to him that he is the most generous man on the planet. And he says, no. No, I'm not. Well, there's nobody trying to give away a a billion dollars, let alone a hundred billion dollars. But the way he looks at it is, there are people who give up all of their vacation time, or they simply leave their families and move to Africa and work in a hospital with sick and and pathetic, horrible-looking diseases. They, They give up everything. I've got an airplane. I can get a hamburger anytime I want. Think about Bill Gates. If all the things that he talked about, he and his buddy Warren Buffett are all big McDonald's fans. <laughs> if you had a billion dollars as a Big Mac, the first thing you'd go after, huh? But that's what he says. I have an airplane. I can get a hamburger anytime I want. I've not really given up anything when I have so much in reserve. I think that's a little closer to the perspective that God has than maybe you and I have. He says, I haven't sacrificed at all because I've had so much. Hmm. There's a lot of ways to say thank you, my friends. But the most important thing is that you do it. And when you think of how much God has done for you, the greatest act of love that we'll ever, ever know is that God gave his son. That Jesus willingly went to a cross where he would find separation for his father And he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason is you and me. He died for my sin and for yours so that we could have life.
A life that even has inconveniences at times when you've got to park further back in the parking lot and you didn't get there in time for the deal or they ran out even though you had the coupon and you got a cold and it was your best pal's wedding day and you had to miss it. But friends, one thing you know if you're trusting in Christ is you will not spend a second in hell because God has given you his home a future, a hope. If you were to lose your legs this very day, you have heaven to make up for it. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed, whatever it costs you here. You'll have so much in heaven, you will never remember it. The sacrifices for him today certainly ought to include our gratitude. God help us.